Welcome to the latest instalment of The Curious Capitalist. The Curious Capitalist is a series of podcasts where we take the opportunity to not only speak to board members from the Conscious Capitalism Connecticut chapter, but also local business owners, startups and entrepreneurs from across the state of Connecticut. Welcome to the latest edition of The Curious Capitalist, brought to you by Conscious Capitalism, the Connecticut chapter. And today it's my pleasure to be speaking to the newest board member, Christia Janowski. Christia is an environmental education consultant and educator, and also the co-lead of the International Society of Sustainability Professionals. Christia, welcome to The Curious Capitalist. Thank you. It's great to have you here today. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'd like to know a little bit, first of all, about you. Tell me a little bit about how you got to this point in your career. It's been an interesting journey. I started off as an environmental educator and I've been teaching for a little over 20 years. And in teaching outdoor environmental science, you know, you're very connected with what's going on with the environment and with kids and I ended up doing some challenge coursework and some ropes coursework and facilitating that kind of stuff and seeing and learning about group dynamics through climbing walls and ropes courses. And that kind of influenced my my way of thinking to a degree on how I approach group dynamics and leadership. When you're facilitating that kind of stuff, as the facilitator, you're looking to make the participants reach new heights in themselves, as opposed to, you know, as a leader taking charge, you, you want to put the initiative on them and expand their horizons. And so I think that's kind of where it started for me. And then I was working in addition to doing environmental education for a large outdoor company and their policies towards their employees was something that really intrigued me and interested me. And over time, I ended up helping start a a wildlife education company. And when I was doing that, I was kind of looking to that large outdoor company and their policies to model some of the wildlife education company's policies towards their employees on, in addition to the sort of mindset of challenge courses and ropes courses and making the employees reach for new heights and be better for their own sake, as opposed to taking charge and just telling them what to do. So um, we're talking, you know, essentially like outdoor team building type activities. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Like think, you know, walking a rope, you know, 30 feet in the air as a team and trying to get everybody from one end to the other. So that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I absolutely know exactly what you mean. I used to uh, run school trips in the UK and uh, we tended to take people who were struggling mm-hmm. edu- educationally and we used to take them for weekend trips to South Wales. So it would be things like high ropes, it would be mountain yes. climbing, it would be caving, it would be messing mm-hmm. around in rivers and that sort of thing. And it's fascinating the difference it makes when you empower that group. They used to come out, these strapping lads who had uh, questionable attitudes and interesting <laughs> ethics, they would come home on a Sunday afternoon to meet, you know, their parents would meet them off of our minibus and they would be different people. It would completely yep. change them. And I, I've reached out to a few of them, you know, who are now grown men, married, many children, and they still remember those trips that had such a, an impact on their lives. It's absolutely life-changing for many people. So fantastic work for sure. Yeah. I've taken that mentality into business and I don't know that it was necessarily a conscious decision to do that all the time, but 
I definitely approach situations where you have an employee that, you know, is not really on board with something or just is not performing at their peak or is just really disengaged and kind of taken some of those same skills that I learned in facilitating ropes courses and applied them to those situations. When you get somebody to engage in a different way, it makes a difference. A huge um, difference. A huge, huge difference. Yeah. What age range are you working? Certainly in terms of the environmental education, environmental science stuff, what ages of people are you working with? Mainly K through 12. You know, I, I also work with family groups and occasionally there's some college groups that we'll interact with or work with. And um, sometimes there's very, very rare adult groups, but mainly K through 12. So... Prior to COVID, when right. I'm assuming things are on hold at the moment, where were you holding these field trips for people? There's several different nonprofits. So I'm located in Southern Fairfield County and work with nonprofits in the town and surrounding towns. Soundwaters, based in Stanford, Mill River Collaborative in Stanford are two of the main ones that I work with at the moment. What do you wish that you'd known before you started out on this career path? You went to Fairfield Uni, didn't you? So what yes. do you wish that you'd known on the day you graduated to where you are now? Oh, I, I'm not sure. I didn't really, this was definitely not an intentional career path. I continued just doing things that I loved to do. And it just sort of led me to sustainability and conscious capitalism over the course of time. I guess it would have been nice to have known that those things existed when I graduated. Um, I, I wasn't even aware of them for years, probably actually until pretty recently. It was just I was doing the things, but didn't know that other people were too. And it would have been nice when I graduated to have known that they existed then. I think yeah. maybe I would have gotten here sooner. <laughs> it, do you know, it's something we hear on pretty much every podcast is that I was doing this. I had a passion for this. I had a fire right. in my belly. I just didn't have a name for it. And then I found conscious capitalism. So it's something that we hear so often. So Thinking about being the co-lead then of the International Society of Sustainability Professionals, that sounds very grand. <laughs> Tell me more about that role. Well, I'm actually just the co-lead for the New York City chapter. Um, it's a global organization. And I got involved with them about two years ago. I was looking to work more with adults and expand what I was doing with sustainability and it seemed like a really good fit. I got involved and then ended up becoming the, the co-lead and we run lots of events prior to pandemic. They're live events for like on the ground learning in <laughs> the um, the metro area. Yep. Uh, since the pandemic, we have been doing virtual events and have drawn people from for some events from all over the world. We had one last night, which I think everyone was U.S. based. Uh, we had some Canadian people involved. So that, that's been interesting to expand the reach that way. And it's been an opportunity for me to kind of create my own education. You know, if there's a topic that I want to learn about, then I do an event around it. And it allows me the opportunity to kind of engage with people that, you know, I might not necessarily have had the opportunity to engage with. Yeah, I guess reason to. experts in their field to, mm -hmm. to fill in that knowledge gap. It's that's a useful way of doing it. So thinking about conscious capitalism then, particularly here in Connecticut, you are the newest board member. How did you first hear about conscious capitalism and how did you get involved? I had been volunteering with the Connecticut Sustainable Business Council 
and conscious capitalism of the Connecticut chapter and the Connecticut Sustainable Business Council partnered on an event, a two-day climate summit. It was a fantastic event and an inaugural course over three days. It was such good fun being involved with the summit, that's for sure. And hopefully uh, it will be something that is an annual event moving forward. So it's great that that's how you kind of become acquainted. So how did you end up on the board? I guess over the course of that three-day period, I got to know some of the people involved in the board with Conscious Capitalism and reached out to the chair, Gavin, Gavin Watson, and ended up having a conversation with him. And I, I just wanted to know more about Conscious Capitalism and get involved in it and see what kind of opportunities there were to get involved and how I could help. And one thing led to another and and now I'm on the board. <laughs> and here you are. And I'll tell you here what, it's, it's fantastic to have you on board as well. You know, this is such a vibrant chapter with so much going on at any given time. So it's fantastic to have you on board. So thinking of the tenets of conscious capitalism, we often talk, you know, obviously about a higher purpose. Now you've got kind of a, a double-edged professional sword, if you like, with the mm-hmm. environmental education work that you're doing what does it mean to you about having a higher purpose within the work you do obviously it's a big deal but how would you describe that higher purpose how would i describe it for me it it has driven everything that i've done from career choices in terms of where i work but also how i work and why i work (laughs) Uh, the things that motivate me are the things that i care about if an organization or a company is engaging in something that is important to me which for me, it is things that have an impact on the environment or on the people that the organization interacts with. I really enjoy that team aspect of certain organizations and and work. So I think those are the two things that have really fueled me. And I know that the tenets of conscious capitalism involve, you know, leadership styles and, and culture. And I think culture is really important in how companies engage with their employees and also with their different stakeholders. Very much so, you know, and we talk a great deal about the culture and the leadership of the companies involved in conscious capitalism and, you know, and finding the very best way of of getting employees on board, you know, it's Mm -hmm. all well and good if you've got a vision and a passion and fire in your belly to change the world, but you're going to need your team with you, you know, and and how you instill that, I guess, and how you encourage your workforce to, to be on board with that. And that's a really key part, certainly of the things we discuss here at Conscious Capitalism. So thinking about your work that you've done so far, what would you say has been your biggest success professionally and indeed personally, you know, so it doesn't just have to be work related? I guess I'm struggling with that question because I see the the successes that I take the most joy out of, which for me feel the biggest, but aren't necessarily from an outsider's perspective, the biggest are the ones that are other people's personal successes. You know, when I've helped somebody else, get to a place that they were trying to get to, whether it's a student that I'm teaching or, you know, an employee that I'm helping to to train or um, support in some way. The successes that stick out to me are those moments when I've seen that light bulb go on in a child's eyes, you know, when I'm able to make a connection for them and suddenly you can see them realizing, oh, now I get it. this is connected to that and this is how we affect that and it, it's all connected and you can see that on their faces. Those moments are the biggest successes for me personally. Um, absolutely, absolutely. I, I know in the grand scheme of, you know, large companies and everything that that might not sound like a big success, but I think, you know, make those moments happen is how we get to a larger group success. 
I couldn't agree more. I think it's the most important thing that, that we can do. I, I really do believe that. I had a, a very influential school teacher when I was a kid. And I said, you know, why, why are you in teaching? You know, why did you become a teacher? You could have done anything. Because uh, she said, I wanted to change the world. And I was like, right, oh, you're a school teacher. I wanted to change the world. And if you think about it, uh, a teacher, if you're not going to become a president or a prime minister or a good politician, should we say, you know, how else can you change the world? And education is the key. So if you think about all the thousands of children that have uh, slid through her classroom over the years, she has had an impact on every single one of them or a good percentage. And that impact changes the world. And for her, her passion was the environment, you know. So, yeah, I, I believe that, you know, education certainly of, of younger people it is absolutely priority to, to change in the world, certainly when it comes to sustainability and the environment, you know, it's such a big movement. So uh, I think that's a worthy thing to be very, very proud of. And I know what you mean about that, seeing the light bulb go on. It's just life changing. I remember when my niece first said something along the lines of, you know, like, why are we using plastic and not glass? And I thought, yes, you know, maybe, just maybe we've got a chance here. If this right. little eight-year-old is asking for glass, not plastic, maybe we've got a chance. And it's people like yourself and, you know, and organizations that make that difference. So that's a, that's a very big thing to be proud of, of that success, that's for sure. And it, it's great when you can, in that moment, you know that they're making, you can see the expression on their face. You know that you're making a connection for them, but that's going to stick with them. Yes. And, um... I actually had a student that in the last couple of years learned, this was years ago, I had taken a group of kids to see a glacier out in Washington, the base of Mount Rainier, uh, the Carbon River Glacier. And I remember very clearly one of those moments where there was just this one student on that trip and he, he was just glowing seeing this glacier and like, it just sparked something in him and you could see it. And he just was so thirsty for knowledge about anything I could tell him about the glacier and about how it was formed and how it impacted the the land around it and any information. He just had so many questions. And the last few years, I learned that um, he is now a, a hydrologist out in California. Wow. Um, and he references that trip regularly, like he talks about it all the time as yep. to what fueled his career. And he's now working on droughts and water management in California, which is a huge issue with the wildfires right now. So um. it is absolutely. And we can never underestimate the power of that kind of realization and opportunity through education where we can inspire the next generation. It's just incredible. So I've, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty jazzed by your work. I've got to be honest. <laughs> so thinking about some of the more regional issues that we have here in Connecticut, what are some of the things on your radar at the moment in terms of sustainability and the environment that you're you're keen to make a dent in? Well, with Long Island Sound being right here, it's the health of the sound is a huge issue for me. That's been a, a big theme in my career. Spent quite a bit of time working on in and around the sound. <laughs> um, and while the health of the sound is better than it's been in years, it's still got a long way to go. And it's seeing different challenges now. Um, you know, back in the 70s, it was massive marine debris, like large chunks of just garbage floating up and washing up on the shores, syringes and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's no longer an issue. At this point, we've removed all that, but we're now finding microplastics to be a big issue. And it's from all of the, like our fleece and all of the synthetic materials that get washed when we wash them, 
they're little tiny filaments that break off and get washed you know, out with our wastewater that leaves the washing machine plant ends up out in the sound. Scientists are finding that they're being picked up and are being found in the systems of our shellfish, from crabs to oysters, which then, of course, you know, get eaten by other animals. It just works its way up the food chain and ends up yeah. in our own bodies. Yep. So I would say, and it's so tiny that it's really hard problem to solve right now because it's not like non-point source pollution has always been an issue because you can't say, you can't point to one thing and say, oh, it's, you know... It's that dump that's, you know, not confining its waste. It's that, you know, factory that's dumping stuff, whatever. It's all of us from our everyday actions. Um, and most of us don't even don't even realize it. So how do you stop that? And then how do you collect it and, and get it out of the water when it's so tiny? So that's a huge issue right now. Mm, very much so. That has been on my radar. And I, I would say... There's a lot of things, but I, that probably is the one that for our region, I'm, I'm currently the most concerned about. And I feel like there are things that are being done that can help. Um, part of it's getting the word out about different technologies. Part of it is developing more technologies and funding them. And other parts is, is just educating, you know, letting people know. I'm, I mean, I know personally, I was even surprised when I learned the extent to which it was occurring and i've been doing this for over 20 years <laughs> i was still yeah. surprised yeah. you know so just getting that information into you know the public's view education 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 as they say yeah and not necessarily <laughs> in the traditional structure of education which is i think part of why i'm excited about being involved with conscious capitalism and it's also why I really love the work that I'm doing with the International Society of Sustainability Professionals, because both organizations are, their main target audience is not K through 12, you know? Um, it's not people who are in a traditional classroom learning environment. They've moved on from that at this point. And um, it allows me to reach a different, a different audience than I might otherwise have the opportunity to reach. So. Yeah, a very different audience and a receptive audience as well. Yes. Hopefully have, you know, a little bit of uh, firepower, shall we say, to, to hopefully yeah. drive things forward and make a difference for sure. And an audience that has, you know, a little bit more means and skills to do something about it than, say, a fifth grader. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I do. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about sort of engaging with not just adults, but businesses, you know, with some kind of means, if a company wanted to make a shift towards being more conscious, what would you like to see them do? What advice would you have for that company? And what would you like to see them do and achieve? I get torn between the environment and the people. I guess I would start with the people, because if you get your people to care, if you show you care about your employees, then they're going to care more. And not just about what you're doing, but about how you're doing it. And they're going to feel more empowered to take initiative about other things that they care about, which I would like to think would then lead to more environmentally aware practices and more sustainable practices. But I guess starting with the people, how they treat their employees and their stakeholders. Yeah, absolutely. Through leadership. So thinking more about yourself, when you're not focused on your work, and serving on various boards, what do you like to do to relax? What do you do to relax and unwind? I love to be outside, anything outside. I, I love backpacking, I love kayaking, anything on the water. This year with things being a little bit more 
restricted. I spend a lot of time gardening. Yep. Uh, I really enjoy watching things grow and it gives me a sense of, of peace of knowing and seeing that things are continue mm. to grow and move on and move forward regardless of what happens with humans. Um, <laughs> oh, you're so right. <laughs> I find it's that very right. peaceful. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's really important as a brand new board member that we get to know you a little bit. If you could have dinner with any figure in history, who would it be and what question might you ask? Just one. <laughs> well, as it's you, you can have up to three. <laughs> oh, excellent. I would go with um, probably the Dalai Lama, Gandhi, and maybe Nelson Mandela. Wowzers. And I have no idea where I would start with questions, but I... There would be a lot. There would be so many. <laughs> But I think that, and I don't even know if I would, I mean, I'm sure I would have questions. I always have questions, but I think I would love to just listen to them have a conversation. Yes. And, and just, I feel like I could learn so much just by listening to the three of them have a conversation together. Yeah. About everything. You're right. You're absolutely right. It's really interesting. Obviously we've been doing these podcasts for, for some time now and I've had some fantastic answers some really interesting answers, some crazy answers. Um, but that's really interesting that you have selected your dinner guests and not with the intention of peppering them with questions, but to listen to their interaction. That's, that's smart. I like that. That's a good answer. That's sort of my style. I like to see what evolves. Um, so we've talked a little bit about your successes and how much joy and satisfaction you get from inspiring others. But with success, of course, comes not quite failures, but Talk to me about your greatest fear, a greatest fear that you faced in your life, maybe overcome uh, in your life. The greatest fear. I guess prior to this year, uh, <laughs> I would say that it might have been that I wasn't getting through or that I wasn't making the impact on the future generation that I felt needed to happen. Particularly when I started out, I would say that fear definitely has faded over the years as I've gotten more confident. And also as the kids that I've taught have, as I've seen them grow and seen where they've ended up. It's, you know, I know that kids that I started off with years ago are now making impacts out in the world. So I think that it's eased that fear. This year, um, I would say it has brought a little bit closer to home the reality that maybe we're too late. Mm. Or that maybe, and I don't really believe that we're too late. I don't, I don't believe that. But that the price that we're going to pay as a whole is going to be so great mm. for our inaction or our size of the action that we have taken over the last 100, 150, 200 years. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I think seeing the pandemic, you know, I, I've done all the reading, you know, I, I knew that with climate change and a warming environment and more interactions between humans and different animals that zoonotic diseases were um, becoming more prevalent. I knew that, you know, it's been talked about for years that pandemics will be more regular and be something that we see more often. Yes. But it was sort of like this abstract thing and never having seen one before. Mm-hmm. I mean, not 
<laughs> not like this at any rate. No. Um, it was like this out there sort of thing. Like when you learn about, I don't know, the fact that, you know, when it's someday the sun will not be its current state anymore. It'll evolve into the, its next state. Like this is not something we're ever going to see. And it's like something you learn about. But when you're learning about the solar system, but it's not real to you, you know? <laughs> Exactly. I think, you know, you have all these predictions and right. based on solid scientific foundations, but it's always a little bit like, oh, but it's not happening today. Right. It's not happening and today, so I'm not going to worry about it today. And I think yeah. we end up pushing it down the road. And you're absolutely mm -hmm. right about pandemics. It, you know, they are going to become more prevalent. I think right. that is what the scientists are saying. That's what doctors who study yeah. epidemiology are saying, you know, is that this is not going to be like a one hit wonder. No. This, this is going to you know, continue. And I can identify with the is it too little too late scenario mm -hmm. and the price that we're going to have to pay for our environmental decisions yeah. now in the future. Terrify right. me. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. And that in the future, that quote unquote future, that that isn't really that far away. No, no, very much so. Um, yeah, I had an event for the International Society of Sustainability Professionals last night um, with Andrew Winston, and he made a point that, you know, environmentally, the planet's going to be fine. Nature's going to be fine, regardless of what happens with humans, regardless of what we do. The world's going to continue. It may not look the same. It'll evolve. Different species will, will evolve, but the Earth will continue to exist. It's really more about the human toll. Mm. And will it be an environment that humans can exist in? And that's the scary part. Very much so. And I think that's a really valid fear, for sure. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your plans, both professionally and personally, moving forward. Assuming post-pandemic, should we say, it's always difficult to do these predictions before a pandemic, but now it's even more difficult. But where do you see yourself sort of projecting yourself to in the next five years or so? Um, I would love to be working with the UN in, in some way awesome. on their sustainability, on their the sustainable development goals in education, outreach in some capacity. I don't know if that necessarily means at a K through 12 level. I would love to continue to work. Like right now I have a foot in both worlds where I get to, you know, work with adults through the boards that I'm on and organizations that I'm involved with, but I also get to work with kids in my actual work. It'd be nice to continue to do that if that's possible, but I, I would love to in some way work on helping to spread the word about the, the 17 sustainable development goals. If there's anybody from the UN listening, uh, she's available for work. <laughs> you can contact her. <laughs> Listen, it's been fantastic talking to you today, you know, and I think what we've had the opportunity to do is to look squarely at the position that us as humans are in kind of warts and all but I think that there are enough solid people who are really pushing in the right direction to try and make a difference for the next generation and the generations beyond that and you're certainly a big part of that as an educator and as somebody so passionate about the environment it's been such good fun chatting with you today and congratulations on your appointment to the board of conscious capitalism thank you thank Capita. you very much i'm sure you're going to have a lot of fun with that that's for sure how can people reach out to you get in touch with you if they're interested in the work you do or of course if the un are listening and they want to offer you that job <laughs> how can they get in touch with you 
um they can find me on linkedin that's probably the easiest way linkedin is great do check her out on linkedin and it's been a pleasure i wish you well in your new appointment and uh, let's catch up in a year's time and see what a difference we've managed to make hey thank you it was great talking with you thank you for taking the time to listen to the latest installment of the curious capitalist for more information you can visit the website connecticut.consciouscapitalism.org